Ram Power Days is going on now with our most powerful lineup of trucks ever. Hurry in and don't just feel the power, own it. And right now, get 0% APR financing plus $3,000 total bonus cash allowance on 2022 Ram 1500 Bighorn Crew Cab models equipped with a gas-powered V6 engine. Don't miss this great offer. Visit Ram.com to find your local Ram dealer today. Financing for all qualified buyers through Chrysler Capital. Not all buyers will qualify. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery by 1031-22. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to yet another victorious edition of the Huddle Up! Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me is my co-host, my partner in crime in this podcast endeavor. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, you've been on the run this week. You'll have to tell our listeners what's been going on for you, just a quick aside. But hey, the upside is the Denver Broncos are 1-0 in the division and 2-0 to start the season. It has been pretty, but I'd say they're exceeding early expectations thus far. Yeah, Hurricane Florence, or what it was Hurricane Florence, kind of ran me out of my house. I've been uh, a little dispossessed, but I'm back in business. I'm back with my setup, so that's been it's been interesting. But uh, in terms of the Broncos, it, it depends what your expectations are, but they're winning the games they're supposed to win, and I talked about that a few weeks ago. That's what contenders do, is win the games they're favored to win, and so far, you can't hit on the results. 2-0. 2-0, baby. Now, we got a lot to get to, obviously, today in the gut reaction. But first, some quick points of business. Make sure you guys are following the show on Twitter. Very easy, at HuddleUpPod. Also, on Facebook, find Denver Broncos on 24-7 Sports and Mile High Huddle. And then also take some time to uh, leave a creative review wherever you're listening to the show. Rate the show, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, YouTube, Google Play, what else, Spreaker, And now Spotify, don't forget, you can listen to the show now on Spotify as well. But you guys, you have no idea how much that helps us when you leave reviews and rate the show. It really helps us climb the charts, so to speak, and reach new listeners. And before we dive in, we got to say thank you to the sponsor of today's show, Vivid Seats. Now listen, we all love a night out, whether it's going to see our favorite band in person or being there in the crowd at Mile High to cheer on our favorite team, the Denver Broncos. With Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert, the show, or the sporting event of your choice at a great price. And it doesn't just have to be the Broncos. It can be the Nuggets. Uh, it can be the Rockies, who are the season still going there. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events that you want to go to. And you can sort by price, or you can look for seats in the section and the row of your choice to make things even better vivid seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive 10 percent off your first purchase with vivid seats to save even more money here's how you do it go to the app store or google play and download the vivid seats app use the promo code huddle for 10 percent off your first purchase with vivid seats promo code huddle Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more. Vivid Seats has it all. So download the app, enter the promo code HUDDLE for 10% off your first purchase with Vivid Seats. 
You guys, go make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. And another quick note here, guys. These sponsors are our lifeblood for the show. You guys uh, love listening to the Huddle Up podcast and the other shows on the network. Patronize our sponsors. It's a big deal. And especially when they're great sponsors like Vivid Seats, they're offering a product and a service and especially 10% off discount when you use the code HUDDLE that is perfect for Broncos fans. Even if you don't live in Denver, if you want to travel and get to that game, here's your chance to get that ticket you need for your Bronco game on the schedule with a 10% discount. All right, so let's dive in here. Denver Broncos finished this thing 20, Raiders 19. And it was ugly to uh, to start, Zach. I mean, Case Keenum, it's been, I mean, I can even think back to some of the Trevor Simeon vagaries, some of the, you know, the uh, Brock Osweiler struggles, Paxton Lynch. And that first half performance from Case Keenum, I think, was equally as mystifying and hard to watch, at least in the first half. But he comes back, he overcomes adversity. There were definitely shades of 2017 in there in the first half of the game. I mean, he threw that bad interception. They weren't moving the ball that well. They went three and out, what, three consecutive times, four consecutive times. It it just did not look good at all. But again, like he showed last week, he showed his medal. And we argue with a fan on Twitter over what medal is for a quarterback. (laughs) But this is what he brings to the table. It's not pretty. It's not going to always be flashy. It's not going to be on, you know, SC top 10 every night. But he's going to get it done. And they're paying him that money to get wins. And so far, he's provided two fourth-quarter comebacks, and he really overcame it. He had that fourth that uh, fourth down touchdown at the end of the game where he snuck it in. Yep. And he not only identified what they should do on that play, it was a great call by Bill Musgrave. He identified the hole in the middle of that defensive line, and he snuck right through it. It's little things like that that you can't teach, and it's little things like that the Broncos have really, really lacked uh, last couple years. Yeah, it's a it's a, a better late than never type of thing with Case Keenum. And I think before fans start knee-jerking too hard on Keenum's struggles in the first half against the Raiders and now being out of whack with his touchdown-to-interception ratio, uh, being at three touchdowns thrown and four interceptions, I think it's still important to keep into perspective the fact that Keenum is, even though he's a veteran, he's in a new city, he's settling in with a new offense and new receivers it's still brand new for him so the fact that when he stumbles when he when things don't go exactly according to plan and he has a difficult time getting into a groove and establishing a rhythm he doesn't allow himself to go into a shell he finds a way to dig himself out of the hole now some of that has to do with just the fact that you know he's been in the league as long as he has he's experienced the ups he's experienced the downs but also a lot of that is you know due to case keenum the individual his own mental makeup and his own kind of emotional metal, if you will. He's a competitor. He doesn't take things lying down, and it might not always be pretty, but he's going to find a way to get things done. What I don't like is throwing interceptions in the red zone. Like, I can even live with first-half struggles. You make your adjustments at halftime. You come back in the second half firing on all cylinders, putting up 20 points like uh, Keenum and the Broncos did. What I don't like, Zach, was that red zone interception, especially at a, you know, it's early in the game, but it's a critical moment because you're down by just six points in that moment. And you'd gone, as you talked about, three consecutive three and outs. You're finally moving the ball a little bit, thanks to Philip Lindsay, who we're going to talk about here in a minute. And then you just make a bad read and an even worse throw. So you, you hate to see that. You hope that 
going into the third week, you know, it's going to be his first test going on the road that he can start ironing out some of those kinks. But you got to love the way this guy responded. I do. And it's kind of, you know, it's concerning to a point because he threw only seven picks last year. The whole season with the Vikings, he's already up to four. So on that pace, he's really not the, what the Broncos paid for, but they paid for victories, like I said. And he's responding so far. That that interception that he threw, yeah, it was a bad read and a worse throw. He had no business making that throw. It was double coverage. It wasn't going to be completed. And the worst case scenario did unfold. But, you know, in the end, he did enough to lead them to victory. And that's what matters. That's what matters. And he kept his guys believing. He kept his guys in the moment. That's one thing that I love because, you know, we can compare how atrocious that first half was from Keenum with some of the uh, quarterback vagaries of the very recent past, thinking back to 2017. But one thing that neither Simeon, Osweiler, nor Lynch could have done was battle back from such a hole. Because as we saw in years past, the last two years, when things went sideways for these quarterbacks the Broncos had, that was it. That was curtains. I mean, with very few exceptions, they'd go into a hole. They'd go into that shell. And a lot of that is just having self-confidence. But from a leadership perspective, Keenum was able to keep his guys focused in the moment, believing, working together. And in the end, it allowed them to turn that corner, so to speak, and establish some momentum, put some points on the board. And by the way, that drive to open up the third quarter. I mean, that was manna from heaven. The Broncos absolutely had to respond and come back and put some points on the board coming out of that 13 to, or 12 to nothing, I should say, halftime hole. But I just love Keenum's ability as a leader. He's got his guys believing, even even if it isn't always pretty. Yeah, I put a lot of blame also, you know, blame, you know, partially on Bill Musgrave in the first half because he was playing a little conservatively with his play calls. He didn't really open up the playbook that much to my liking, and it didn't take advantage of the Broncos' strengths, which is Emmanuel Sanders. He had no catches in the first half. Yeah. He came out at halftime. Vance Joseph told him, be more aggressive, take more chances. He opens the second half with a 21-yard pass to Emmanuel Sanders. They drive down the field, get a touchdown. Like you said, a huge, huge answer, and that's what you want to see. You want to see them come back from adversity, answer the bell when it's ringing, and put points on the board. And the thing about Keenum is on a number of occasions this offseason, after signing his contract, after finally becoming a starting quarterback in the NFL, he didn't want the job to be given to him. He wanted to show and prove his leadership, prove he's worthy of the money, prove he belongs. He wanted to you know, ingratiate himself to his teammates and not just be given the job because uh, he was the big free agent prize. And he's done that. He's been the leader. He's been the one stepping up, commanding the huddle. You saw it on that on that uh, the first down scramble he had on that on that touchdown drive. Mm-hmm. He got up and he was fired up. He he rallies his teammates around him, and that's what you want to see from a true franchise quarterback. That's something that Trevor Simeon never did. Paxton Lynch for sure never did, and you never saw for Brock Osweiler. So it, it's it's definitely definitely encouraging. You need that galvanizer at, at quarterback. It can't be from your running back like C.J. Anderson's had to be the last couple years. It can't even be from your wide receiver like the Broncos fooled themselves into thinking Demarius Thomas could be as a team captain. It has that, that ability to galvanize, that ability to light a fire underneath guys. It has to come offensively from the quarterback. So it's good to see that the Broncos finally have a, a signal caller that has the wherewithal to be able to do that. And one of the reasons Keenum was able to battle back was the Broncos' offensive line. Now, this wasn't as consistently a good performance across the board as it was in week one, but if you still, you look at some of the metrics here. Now, again, 
Zach and I have both only had a chance. We're recording this almost directly after the game. We've only had a chance to watch the, this thing once. But the Broncos' offensive line paved the way for 168 rushing yards, and Case Keenum was only sacked one time. And even if you think back to the times in which Keenum was pressured, very rarely that I can think of off the top of my head upon first viewing was that some kind of quick pressure out of the gate where a guy got beat. There were one or two instances of that. But most of the time when Keenan was feeling pressure late in the game, it was either due to blitz or it was due to him just holding on to the ball because the Raiders' zone coverage was just doing it, doing a number on the Broncos. He was just holding on to the ball for a long time, and that's where that pressure was able to start getting to him a little bit in the second half. But still, the Broncos' O-line minus a couple of you know, head-scratching penalties like the Paradis penalty. And then Bowles, he finally came through with a penalty late. Unfortunately, was in the clutch. Thankfully, the Broncos were able to battle back. But still, overall, even though losing Jared Valdir to a concussion, that's concerning considering his injury history. But still, overall, I think this Broncos offensive line has been a massive upgrade over the last few seasons. Yeah, Broncos fans probably aren't going to like me this episode because a lot of times I'm going to be playing the devil's advocate. And let me just say, the Raiders' pass rush is not very scary. Without Khalil Mack, they're, they're nothing. And they were gassed by the, the fourth quarter. They had Clinton McDonald on the field, the former Bronco, Jonathan Hankins, who they just signed. They didn't have a very imposing pass rush. So I'm not surprised that the O-line stepped up and handled their you know their business. But that being said, though, yeah, you know, from the last couple years, all you saw was pressure, whether it's from the interior, from the edges— all you saw were Broncos quarterbacks under duress. And through two games, and it's a credit to Kugler and Kirk Strausser, the offensive line coaches, mm-hmm. they've done a great job with the offensive line. I have no concerns with them. Uh, Matt, Matt Paradis, it was a little leaky today. That's the only thing I can really think of. Uh, but Ron O'Leary was a stud. Uh, he had a big block, a pancake block on that long uh, Philip Lindsay run. I have no problem with the O-line. I hope, though that Jared Valdir gets out of concussion protocol sooner than later because I do not trust Billy Turner as the right tackle. And behind him, you really don't have anyone. You have Elijah Wilkinson as your depth. So they need him to step up because he allowed no pressures this preseason. He went 40 pass-blocking snaps in week one without allowing a single pressure. That was the most in the NFL, corner pro football focus. They need a solid right tackle, and Valdir has been a masterful pickup by John Elway, one of his most underrated pickups this offseason. So as a whole, great, great job. I want to see what they do, though, against a little bit better of a pass rush on a defense, against the Chargers, you know, whatever. Even the Chiefs a couple weeks from now, I want to see a better opponent step up, and let's see what they do. But through two weeks, I have no problem. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing, too, is Veldir has been such a clear upgrade at right tackle for the Broncos. But the caveat for him, we've known it since the, the moment the Broncos acquired him via trade, was health you know he we knew he was going to be a an impact player provided he could stay on the field and so it's unfortunate i mean concussions can strike without warning you never know what type of pop is going to lead to a guy having his bell rung and being out for the rest of the game but fortunately unfortunately however you want to look at it it was a concussion it's not like it was a knee injury and even though in today's day and age we understand some of the ramifications and in implications of head injuries in the case of Jared Veldier, we can only hope that this is only going to keep him out in protocol for you know half the week and he can return to the starting lineup next week because it'll be the first test for this unit on the road in a hostile environment, and they're going to need all hands on deck. Now we move on to who I think, Zach, is the MVP of the game and really the early MVP of the Denver Broncos. It's not Case Keenum. It's Philip Lindsay. Now this is a kid who eclipsed 100 yards last week from scrimmage 
and then on Sunday in week two, he eclipses 100 yards again, the majority of which was on the ground. He had over 100 yards rushing and became the first undrafted player to ever do that, to ever produce 100 yards from scrimmage in the first two games, Philip Lindsay. Now, it's not just the fact, Zach, that he was able to uh, produce the numbers, okay? But it's the fact that without him providing that spark, especially in the second half, this Denver Broncos team does not battle back because nope. Royce Freeman, I mean, he was solid in his eight carries, but it was Philip Lindsay who was the spark. And just the way he gets, how quickly he bursts through that hole. You can right. tell that the Broncos, it's like they know, Zach. They're like, look, we know we can't feed him too many carries because he's less than 200 pounds. You know, he's not going to be able to hold up to the wear and tear. But they just can't help themselves because when the chips are down, they know they need to produce on first or second down. Philip Lindsay's the guy that they believe can get it done, and he's proven that so far. I said it last week, and I'll say it again. It's not crazy to say that Philip Lindsay is the Broncos' best running back. With respect to Royce Freeman, as an early down, uh, you know, between the tackles workhorse, Philip Lindsay just does it all. I mean, he he was the first Bronco in history last week to record a uh, touchdown reception in his first game. This week he sets an NFL record. He he's he reminds me of Darren Sproles with a little more power. And a little more durability, I think. A little more, he can withstand more carries. You cannot take him out of the game. He always is churning his feet. He's always wiggling out of out of tackles and gaining a few extra yards. How did he go undrafted? Is so beyond me. Yeah. I, I don't. I just. I'm. I baffled at that. Um, the Broncos are very fortunate that they scooped him up when they did because his talent was evident in Colorado, and it's becoming evident in the NFL. And uh, I, I think he is the Broncos' best option. And, uh, you know, Royce Freeman, I think his draft status will make him the starter by name and title only. But they're not going to be able to take Philip Lindsay off the field at all. Well, I mean, just look at it. It's two weeks in a row that he has led the running back stable in overall touches. And that tells you everything, really, that you need to know. Nominally, I don't think it's going to change that Royce Freeman is going to remain uh, this, the starting running back or the number one running back on the depth chart. But in the hearts and minds of that coaching staff, we know who is the emotional leader in that stable, especially when the chips go down. It's going to go to Philip Lindsay. They need to get something cooking. It's going to go to Philip Lindsay. You need a big play in the second half or in the fourth quarter. It's going to go to Philip Lindsay. Now, Royce Freeman, to his credit, he had some very productive moments, especially on the goal line. Um, and then also in that, that play late in the game where he was able to stiff-arm Bruce Irvin and pick up some positive yards. Right. But Philip Lindsay, I mean, you're right. It's an indictment overall on all 32 NFL scouting departments. And really, the Broncos got lucky because Lindsay grew up in their own backyard, a Broncos fan. Yeah, and a fan of Terrell Davis, and now he's wearing his number. It's just a great sight to see for Broncos fans and you know, the Broncos team itself. Uh, I don't know how the Broncos didn't you know, put a, a grade on him at all, even a sixth or seventh rounder, but 31 other teams also had the same opinion. And it's just you, John Elway is the best GM in the NFL in finding those undrafted guys. He just does it year after year after year, so my hat off to him. Yep. Elway has proven himself to be one of, if not the best, late-round guys that turn into not just starters but Pro Bowl-caliber players. And then the undrafted ranks, I mean, to find guys like C.J. Anderson, Chris Harris, Philip Lindsay now, it's definitely a feather in his cap. But let's talk real quick about Royce Freeman. I mean, he, he wasn't exactly chopped liver. He got himself his first official touchdown as a pro. 
and uh, you know, kind of served as the thunder to to Lindsey's lightning. What were your thoughts on Royce Freeman in week two? I think he's good for what his role is, and that's that early down, like I said, that that early down between the ta- tackles workhorse, the C.J. Anderson role. I don't think he's a thirty game, a thirty touch a game, you know, former Adrian Peterson type where you can just feed him the ball constantly. He doesn't have much value in in pass blocking and in you know, pass receptions, that that kind of thing. Right. That's why they kept Devontae Booker. That's why they have Philip Lindsay. But I have no problem with Royce Freeman. I think he does what his, his role is, and he, he responds to when his number's called. That's all you can really ask of him. He moves the change, chains, he wears down the defense, and he closes games out with his tough running ability. So you really can't hate on that. One thing I really like about Royce Freeman thus far, if you're looking for any kind of silver lining with, you know, the undrafted rookie is outshining the third-round pick, what you got to hang your hat on at this point is the fact that Royce Freeman still shows that penchant to not go down on first contact. So give him more time to get into his groove, give him more time, give the team more time to kind of figure out how they're going to balance the touches between Lindsey and Freeman. And I think you're going to continue to see Royce Freeman shine. But I mean, the guy really who is the the goat of this game has to be Demarius Thomas. Now we're going to get to step your game up later, obviously in the show that's coming, but Demarius deserves some time, a topic all on his own here because he finished as the highest targeted player on the team with 11 targets, but he hauled in only five of them for 18 yards. Five of his five receptions totaled only 18 yards, and he should have had at least eight receptions because he had three drops. And the, the dagger, what could have been the dagger, I should say, was that one on the final drive Denver had where he just, I mean, it wasn't a perfect pass. It was slightly behind him, but it's Gotta not catch like it. He, yeah, he didn't even have a guy like draped on him. Like that has to be a catch. Yeah, I, there has to be some sort of consequence that we can look at that that should maybe consider the Broncos moving more toward Cortland Sutton, moving more toward Deshaun Hamilton, maybe even Tim Patrick, who for my money was better than Demarius Thomas in this game. Yep. It's it's not a one or two game thing with DT. It's every season he does this, and he's been known. He's been a meme for his drop passes. He, he, you have no excuse as the highest-paid Broncos receiver, over $12 million cap number, to be coming up with multiple drops per game. There's just no reason for it. Yeah. Well, I would I would agree with you that, you know, it's not like this is some kind of a new trend. But where I would say it's changed this year is it seems to be even worse. Like, you know, we're used to that one dough moment, right, where you're like, dang it, DT, how could you drop that? But like two and three – drops per game plus in the opener he had the other lapses with the penalty and some other right. and, the, and the miscue with Keenum on that first interception week one like it's adding up and if you're a coaching staff it, I mean it'd be one thing if there was absolutely nothing behind Demarius but you've got three legit wideouts two of which have been making plays and at a certain point just for credibility in the room there has to be some kind of corresponding consequence to DT uh, you know, the dereliction of duty. And, you know, that's a good segue into Cortland Sutton because I wrote about this uh, after the game in the five things we learned. I mean, this is a kid who is just this close. I mean, this close to breaking games wide open. He had six targets and unfortunately was only able to haul in one of them for nine yards. But he had what could have been two massive plays in which he made really tough catches Uh, that just went against him. One was a deep play down the left sideline in which he was ruled out. Uh, Vance Joseph challenged, lost the challenge. Or did he challenge? No, he challenged the one in the end zone. The touchdown, Um, The touchdown, which, you know, I in college... It was a touchdown. 
college, that would have been a touchdown, Cortland. But in the NFL, you got to get two feet in. So I think you keep giving him a little bit more time. Let the game slow down just a little bit more. And those plays that he's kind of walked the razor's edge and then been on the losing end, they're going to come up. He's going to come up big for his team. You didn't think that was a touchdown? I thought he was in. Well, I could see it go either way. My my point about the one foot thing is, in college that would have been a guaranteed touchdown. In the right. pros, now it's up for debate. And you know, it was the type of play I think Zach, where if it would have been ruled a touchdown, it probably would have stood. But because exactly. they ruled it incomplete, they stuck to their guns. Yeah, there wasn't in, enough evidence. Indisputable evidence, right? Um, he's like you said, you you took the words right out of my mouth. He's so close to becoming that game breaking receiver and translating what you saw this summer into the regular season. Uh, it's good that Case Keenum has confidence in him, though, to go toward, toward him in those situations. Mm. And I thought it was a touchdown. I, I thought his feet were in, and uh, it should have been ruled a touchdown on the field. But that's, you know, that's another story. Glad they got the win. It, the more he produces, though, and he only had one catch. Yeah, he should have had more. But it's good that Case Keenum has a bond with him. And it won't be long at this rate between him succeeding and uh, DT kind of regressing. That they that they further that the passing of the torch sooner than later, and they move more toward Cortland Sutton and away from uh, Demarius Thomas. My one bone to pick with Cortland Sutton is you go back and watch that final drive. Broncos don't have any timeouts, and I don't know if this is a coaching issue, not getting him prepared, or just Sutton lacking situational awareness. But he was dragging ass on those final possessions. Right. Didn't know where to line up, and you know some of that's on Keenum. You know Keenum's got to be able to kind of direct traffic and get get guys moving quicker but he was I mean especially uh in that let's see it was the Tim Patrick catch in that snap leading up to it you know they're going through the motion and he's just like lagging dude yeah, he was walking like around yeah you don't have any timeouts left dude you gotta have some better situational awareness this isn't college where you know you got timeout or the clock stops every you know I mean in, in college time. the clock's stopping all the time this is in yeah. college. He's got to just. He's got to be a little bit smarter that way. It's a it's a young wide receiver thing because on that Tim Patrick catch, he was running in the middle of the field. They had no timeouts left. If he would have been tackled, they wouldn't have not have got off the field goal. So it's it's situational awareness all around, and that leads me to believe it's coaching. And I know I harp on it a lot, but they have to teach the receivers to get out of bounds or know their proper place, where to line up in those crunch time situations. And credit to Case Keenum. Another thing you didn't see from Trevor Simeon is, is guiding the offense and and uh, rallying his troops and directing them where to go. He was yelling at them on the on this you know online scrimmage. He right. was barking out orders and moving him around. So yeah, Cortland Sutton, it's it's a tough tra- tough transition. Like let's not forget he was a safety in college when he got to SMU. Yep. So he's still becoming a wide receiver. And with all those different, it's not just a physical thing. It's all those different mental capacities that he has to learn too. So if that's the biggest bone to pick though, that he was kind of dragging, he's in pretty good shape. What were your thoughts? We've touched a little bit on it, but what were your thoughts on Emmanuel Sanders' performance in week two? He looked good. I, I wish they would have targeted him more. I wish they would have thrown more passes his way, but he got it going in the second half. He had that big 20-yarder to open up the third quarter. He almost had 100 yards. What, he got four for 96? Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good game. He had 100 last week, so he's already on pace to shatter what he did last year, and he's still a preferred target for Case Keenum. Um, I have no problem with him. I, if, as, as soon as DT learns how to catch passes again, this receiving <laughs> core is going to be really good. Yeah, that's a, that's a sad state of where things are at right now with Demarius Thomas. But, yeah, I mean, he's it's just an indictment. The That new wide receivers coach, Zach Azani, 
he's just got to jump him. There's got to be some kind of corresponding consequence to two games in a row, and especially in the clutch. So uh, I think we've talked enough about Demarius Thomas, but something's got to change. We still got a lot to get to in terms of uh, reacting to what we saw mostly a disappointing fashion from this Broncos defense. But mm-hmm. first, we got to say thank you to the sponsor of today's show, my bookie. You know, ever since I started this podcast, people are always asking me for advice. I get it. Usually it's, you know, what team is going to win? Are the Broncos going to win? The truth is, I don't know who's going to win each and every week. I don't have a crystal ball. But if you think you know, you got to check out my bookie. Remember, Who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. And trust me, guys, they are your best bet this season. They've been in business for years. They have great reviews online. And their mobile site is easy to use. Now, you got to keep in mind, I would only recommend such a service to my listeners that's been good to me. And that's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting. They have over-unders on fantasy points scored and the most rewarding player perks in the business. Now, my bookie is slammed with new bettors, but they want to give everyone the best service possible. If you're willing to deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time, they're going to give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. So join now, and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar, 100% up to 1000 bucks. Use promo code HUDDLE to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's MyBookie, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code HUDDLE when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. And again, if you're willing to hold out till 7 p.m., you get that extra $25 free uh, by using promo code HUDDLE, but add 25 to the end. So it would be HUDDLE25 to get that extra 25 bucks. It's up to you guys. Uh, but I'd wait until after dinner, take the extra money. With my bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. All right, so we got to talk about this defense, Zach, because, you know, if you were just a box score scout and you're going back and you're looking at the numbers, I mean, it looks like the Broncos' defense held their own pretty well. I mean, and you could argue that they did. They're the ones that came out on top. But if you look at some of these stats, and here's where it gets misleading, because, you know, you look at it. Oakland only totaled 373 yards of, of total offense. That's not a ton. That's not a massive indictment on Joe Woods and the squad. The problem is those yards, majority of them came on first and second down, and they were just chewing it up. They had 21 first downs in this game. And just overall, this was a, a defense that just could not get into a groove. You had Derek Carr uh, completely at ease, it felt like, throughout the entire game. I would kind of categorize it as a milk toast performance from this Broncos defense. But before we dive into some of the specifics, off the top, what were some of your immediate takeaways? Well, I like what they did in run defense, for one. They mostly held Marshawn Lynch in check. I thought Domitah Pecco had a great game, making oh, yeah. intense penetration. He was probably my defensive MVP for this game. I thought Oakland did a pretty good job containing Von Miller, actually. Uh, it's not easy to stop him, and they, they chipped him a lot. They double-teamed him a lot. Yeah. Vaughn had that one strip sack that should have been a strip sack if not for holding on Todd Davis. I like what they did in run defense, but that secondary still scares me. The cornerbacks and the safeties going up against receivers and tight ends, uh, it scared me. And they, they're still very leaky. And I think the no-fly zone is is not anymore. I think it's time to bury that nickname because teams are flying all over them. Right. Derek Carr had what, two incompletions, two or three? 
and he had all day to throw pretty much and he just found a group hit Amari Cooper hit Jerry Cook so um pleased with the run defense the secondary not so much yeah yeah Carr went 29 of 32 for 288 yards one touchdown finished with a rating of 114.6 was sacked only once now course that doesn't count the the von miller strip sack that was wiped off the board uh due to a a defensive holding penalty but yeah it was it was not good and here's the thing is like it's weird because i agree with you that again you look at the box score and it looks like they were able to mostly keep marshawn lynch in check i mean he only finished with 34 yards rushing on 10 carries the problem is the majority of those rushing stats that that the raiders were able to produce uh, excuse me, 64 yards rushing for Marshawn Lynch. But the majority of them came in the second half. And that's where you saw the Raiders. I mean, Case Keenan comes back on that first possession in the third quarter, marches down, scores. And then Derek Carr in the, that offense just kept finding a way to answer. And the thing that's funny about it is that going into this, and I was I was buying into it, I'll be honest with you. I heard it from other outside analysts. Our own Eric Trickle went and, and uh, charted the the Rams Raiders game in Week One came away ultimately unimpressed with John Gruden called them uh, basically predictable running an outdated offense so I kind of went into this with that feeling on the back of my neck that people that people were sleeping on the Raiders but still I was kind of expecting to see some some issues with that Raiders offense this I mean they look to me to be completely in command completely in control. Uh, Derek Carr was comfortable the whole time. Like the Broncos just failed to rise to the occasion. I mean, if you look at the Raiders on third down, they they were only three for ten, so that's a that's a plus for the Broncos. Zero for one on fourth down in the red zone, they were one for two, fifty yards, goal to go, or fifty percent. But I still the problem is the majority of those yards came in the second half when your offense was finally battling back. You know, you expected some of that momentum that Keenum wrestled back and wrestled away from the Raiders for the Broncos' defense to be able to channel some of that into their own performance, but they just couldn't do it. You know, Derek Carr gets a lot of hate for whatever reason, and I think he's a pretty good quarterback. That's just my opinion. And he has a lot of weapons around him. He has Amari Cooper. He has Jordy Nelson, Martavis Bryant, Jared Cook, Marshawn Lynch. Those are that's a pretty formidable group of offensive weapons. So you know, as, as much as the Broncos' defense allowed, allowed yards and they could have been better, you're facing a pretty good opponent. And sometimes they make plays and they get paid too. So that's my you know opinion on that. That the Broncos' defense played okay and the Raiders' offense played good. Both those things can be true at the same time. It's not one or the other. So. Yeah, the secondary for me, I just can't get over that fact that I don't know what happened to them. Even with the keep to leap last year, it started to go downhill. But this year, it's just falling off a cliff. And they can't defend wide receivers. They had some breakdowns last week. Amari Cooper went off today. He did nothing last week yeah. and still allowed uh, Jared Cook to have a few catches there. So they got to get that secondary in order because it's going to hurt them later in the year. Yeah. Uh, now, I haven't listened to the post-game stuff from Coach Joseph but I'm sure we're going to hear throughout the week stuff about, yeah, we're still working on the back-end communication. Enough's enough on that. Stop using that as any kind of right. excuse that, to, to hold on to. I mean, you could tell the Broncos went into this really feeling like they had to neutralize Jared Cook, who went off for like 180 yards in week one, coupled with the fact that the Broncos allowed over 100 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown to tight ends in the opener. It's understandable that they wanted to take away Jared Cook. Did they neutralize him? Yes. He, he caught four passes for 49 yards, 
but it came at the expense of Amari Cooper just going off 10 receptions for 106 yards. So they've got to be able to find a way to do both. And I agree with you that that's an indictment on the corners. Chris Harris got burned for a touchdown. Bradley Roby was getting smoked on the regular by Cooper. And then you saw some lapses finally from Adam Jones, Pac-Man Jones, guys just giving way too much of a cushion. That's one thing I don't understand. Mm, yes. I know a lot of this has to do with the way Woods was calling it. But why were they allowing such a monumental cushion to these receivers off the line of scrimmage? It was allowing Derek Carr to do what he needed to do as far as the short game. And it cost the the like Adam Jones in, in particular on a couple of plays. Plus he had the defensive holding penalty that cost the Broncos. So I agree with you that there's just something not clicking. Chris Harris hasn't been playing at the same level. And maybe some of that is him kind of feeling like he has to pick up the slack not as confident in in the talent around him this year. What baffled me was Derek Carr was was feasting on those short, quick passes. Why would you give ten yards a cushion and not play bump and run coverage? It, it just it made no sense to me, and that that falls on coaching. I say it a lot, but that's that's Joe Woods, that's Vance Joseph, two former secondary coaches. They got to know when to call man, when to call zone, because they were giving way too much of a cushion on the outside. And about Jared Cook. Yeah, he only had four catches, 49 yards, but those catches that he had, he was wide open. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't yeah. ever happen. I mean, like wide open. Ridiculously wide open. It should never happen, and and they bracketed him, too. They used a safety and a linebacker, and that's why Amari Cooper was one-on-one. And Adam Jones, to me, had a terrible game. He was he looked good in week one, but he was terrible today. Tremaine Brock got picked on, mm-hmm. and they don't have that young corner to develop. They had Yadam inactive every week, which is an indictment on him and the coaching around him. So Chris Harris, he's supposed to be their best corner, but he's not infallible. He's not perfect. And when he gets beat and he's not at the top of his game, the rest of that unit just suffers. And Bradley Roby, it's starting to become a problem now. You saw it in the preseason. You saw it last week, but he just can't hang sometimes. But the coaches have to do a better job, I think, scheming around how to defend wide receivers, how to avoid those communication lapses, and when to play man versus when to play zone because that 10-yard cushion needs to go away. That can't happen anymore. Yeah. Well, especially when last year was the first time in three years that Chris Harris didn't go to the Pro Bowl or make an all-pro team. And if the season continues the way it has started for Chris Harris, that's going to be two years in a row that he's not going to get any personal accolades. And I do think that some of it has to do with just him not being as confident in the talent around him. But you turn that attention to Bradley Roby. I mean, this is his opportunity one-on-one with Amari Cooper because the Broncos are selling out to stop Jared Cook. I mean, you've got to be the one that makes the difference in that matchup one-on-one. If you really want to hang with the big boys, if you really want to be considered one of those shutdown corners and either get a massive extension from the Broncos or, barring that, go out on the open market and get yourself a massive extension, this isn't how you do it. I mean, the way he's playing right now, he's actually over-earning his actual ability right now. He's not the way he's playing is not nine and a half million dollars a year like he's no. making right this year in his fifth year option. So, you know, these guys hopefully they can dial it back in because yeah, they've they've faced a couple of really good quarterbacks to start the season. You can argue that it's gonna get a little bit easier next week going on the road. Uh even though I would say that Joe Flacco has been playing a little bit better this year so far, even though they're one and one. So 
yeah, the onus is on them, though. It's not good. I would say, though, at least the safeties probably played a little bit better in terms of tackling. There were still a couple issues, uh, especially with that touchdown over the middle that Harris was in on that I'd like to see the safeties have a little bit more awareness and, and close a little bit faster on the, on the route than what I saw. But what do you think of Justin Simmons in week two? Do you think he made up for some of those lapses last week? Yeah, the tackling was good. And that touchdown that they got beat on, that was just a dime by Derek Carr. Dime, yep. I mean, it was a laser, and Harris and Simmons ran into each other. But I have no problem with Justin Simmons. To me, I, I know it's kind of a hot take, but he's their best secondary player right now. Uh, better than Chris Harris Jr., just consistent. And I think he's in for a Pro Bowl year. The tackling was good. They, they didn't go high on Marshawn Lynch too much, something they struggled with last year. They wrapped up. There weren't too many lapses. He's holding it down right now, but they need more consistency from Bradley Roby, who was also beat, by the way, last week by Brandon Marshall. Yeah. So it's every week he, he can't match up. It's one thing to get beat by Amari Cooper, but 54-year-old Brandon Marshall toasting you, it just can't happen for a first-round pick. So uh, Justin Simmons, to me, is the most consistent, but that whole unit has to thrive and has to come together. No doubt. Now, here's the other thing. Von Miller, strong as usual, especially in the first half. He had that strip sack we mentioned that was called off, and then he got himself another sack. But he was mostly neutralized in the second half. Why? Here's, here's why. Now, again, keep in mind, only watched the game once. Haven't, I mean, Coach's film doesn't even come out until Monday. But here's what I saw off the cuff, is that Von Miller was mostly neutralized in the second half because – and I talked about this a few minutes ago, the Raiders were able to run the ball in the second half, especially with Marshawn Lynch. And when you do that and you're getting, uh, you know, second and shorts, third and shorts, you're moving the ball on the ground, it neutralizes a guy like Von Miller's ability to tee off the edge. And so Von Miller, he's only as good as sometimes, this goes to show, his supporting cast. Now that's one thing. The other thing was Bradley Chubb. Six pressures, I think it was, in the opener, half sack. He seemed pretty much like a non-factor upon mm-hmm. my first viewing of the game. Yeah, Shane Ray actually played the first series. So I don't know what they're doing there at outside linebacker. But yeah, he didn't have much of a factor. I want to add, though, a couple things about Von Miller. The way they neutralized him, and I give Oakland a lot of credit for it. They had a good game plan to go against Von Miller. Um, they had quick passes by Derek Carr. Mm-hmm. Three-step drops, get it out of your hand, find those slants to Amari Cooper, those in-routes. Good job by them. Also, they chipped him a lot. Almost every single snap, he was shipped by a tight end, double-teamed, triple-teamed. He was neutralized, and every time Derek Carr held the ball for more than four or five seconds, he bulldozed Donald Penn, Von Miller. It was just a... a mm-hmm. You know, a bloodbath. So they did a good job against him, but Bradley Chubb didn't do much today. And it's, he's going to have those ups and downs. I've been saying this for a while now that people expected him to be the rookie of the year right out of the gates. It's not going to happen. It's an NBA transition. He's going to look, look good some weeks and not so good some other weeks. He's still making that conversion from defensive end to outside linebacker. It's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. And that's fair. And I do agree that at a certain point we need to temper expectations, but I got to be honest with you, I expected more from Chubb, especially with that juicy matchup of going against Colton Miller, the rookie left tackle. Now, granted, Miller was the first tackle taken off the board in the draft this year. The Raiders were phenomenally high on him. But listening to all of our draft experts at Mile High Huddle, including Nick, uh, Kendall, Eric Trickle, none of them were impressed by Miller and felt like he was pretty weak overall coming out of UCLA. So it surprised me 
to see how well he held up one-on-one against Bradley Chubb. And then again, you, br- you bring up the short passing game. We've touched on that a little bit already uh, as a factor in neutralizing Von Miller. That was certainly part of it as well. And here's why yet again, it's another indictment on Joe Woods and the Broncos defense overall from a scheme perspective. The Raiders telegraphed their penchant for doing that last week. Akeem Talib after the game talked about how uh, you know, the first half, you know, where the Raiders were able to get some licks in on the Rams, they come in out of uh, halftime and the Raiders didn't adjust. They were just Derek Carr, just throwing it underneath, throwing it underneath, throwing it underneath. And so they, once they took that away and realized that Carr wasn't going to test him deep, that was, it was curtains for the Raiders. Why couldn't the Broncos do that? Why were, were the Broncos not able to recognize that they needed to take away the underneath because I don't recall the Raiders really pushing them down the field, testing them vertically. So they allowed the Raiders, in other words, here's where it's really an indictment, is the Broncos allowed the Raiders to beat them the way they wanted to. They allowed them to win with one of their strengths, which is the short underneath game, and then hammered them with with Marshawn Lynch in the second half. I think you nailed it a few minutes ago when you said that they were so focused on guarding Jared Cook and defending that tight end problem that they let Amari Cooper run, run wild. And they figured probably that Von Miller can just do what he does best, get off the edge and get sacks. He's not going to have three every week. People thought he was going to get 30, 40 sacks this year. It's not going to happen. That, that was just a great game by him. But um, sometimes you're not going to get those sacks, and they had a good game plan for him. So it is an indictment on the coaching, and they have to figure out that players play and coaches coach. Vance <laughs> loves to say that all the time. That's right. But the coaches have to start coaching now. It falls on both sides. So – they have to get everything cohesive. They can't just have one week where they stop the run, one week where they stop the pass, one week where they get sacks, another week where they don't. It all has to come together because the talent is there. Now it's on Woods to put it all together. I expect you're going to see a bounce-back game from the Broncos' defense. Even though they're going on the road, they're going to be in a hostile environment. I think they'll bounce back. But uh, we still got a lot to get to here in a second. We're going to talk about who needs to step, the, uh, step their game up. We've got to diagnose a bad take. we got the mile-high mailbag. But first, we got to say thank you to sponsor of today's show, Lightstream. Now, here's the thing, you guys. Have you ever looked at your credit card statement and been shocked by the interest rate? I know I have. That's the truth. But did you know that you could actually roll all of your credit card debt into one monthly payment at a lower fixed interest rate? Lightstream allows you to do that. Now, here's what they do. Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.89% APR with AutoPay. That's lower than the average credit card interest rate by over 18% APR. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and you can even get your funds as soon as the same day you apply with Lightstream. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate and no fees. And a fun fact about Lightstream, every time they fund a loan, they plant a tree. So if you're wanting to do your part to keep this blue uh, planet of ours spinning around and, and keep the temperatures down and do your part to avoid global warming, Lightstream's doing their part too. So you get a loan funded, they're going to plant a tree for you. Now, the listeners to the Huddle Up podcast are going to get a special discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. And the only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash huddle up. That's lightstream.com slash huddle up. Now, again, you guys, in today's day and age, I've experienced this myself, where credit card and consumer debt can absolutely throw your entire life and financial situation off track. Go to Lightstream, use that opportunity to get a low APR, consolidate it all down into one 
low monthly payment. We say thank you to Lightstream, such a phenomenal service, such a phenomenal uh, opportunity as a sponsor for sponsoring the show. Now, subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Again, visit lightstream.com slash huddle up for more information. All right. Love Lightstream. Seriously, that was when, when they came to the table wanting to sponsor the show. I was so excited because I know how much true uh, debt consolidation with a low interest rate can change and alters people uh, people's lives for the better. So, all right. Now, we got to move on, though, and talk about uh, we got to diagnose a bad take. Now, last week, we destroyed somebody from Twitter. This one this week is also motivated by some Twitter stuff. And really what it comes down to for me, there's not, not one person in particular. It was my entire Twitter feed throughout the game just getting destroyed when things were going sideways for the Broncos. Vance Joseph just getting shade thrown on him like crazy. Every little thing. Case Keenum gets sacked, it's on Vance Joseph. You know, Von Miller gets triple teamed and chipped, that's on Vance Joseph. Every little single thing was on Vance Joseph. And I'm not painting with two, you know, uh, broad strokes here. I know it's not everybody. But I had to take exception. Those of you who follow me on Twitter, which I'm, I assume the majority of you do, probably saw my little rant that I went on. Zach, Zach gave me a little bit of a hard time on it. <laughs> I get it. I understand. But here's the thing, though. Again, I get it why Broncos fans feel the way they do and why they're so quick to criticize and blame VJ for things. You're coming off a season in which, you know, not only did he preside over an eight-game losing streak, the longest in decades, the team finished 5-11, and and he just overall presented himself to be in over his head. But the Broncos decided to keep him. John Elway, after sleeping on it, and I get it, he did have to sleep on it, but he ultimately decided to hold on to him, show some faith in him, give him another opportunity. And I'll be honest with you, up to this point, Zach, VJ in 2018 has done very little to make me doubt Elway's decision to hold on to him. And now, what I'm getting at at the end of the day is throw the shade on VJ when he ultimately deserves the shade. Okay, like, for example, Zach brought up a great point about how the cornerbacks were playing off coverage and just some of the ways they defended and or lack of defense on the short passing game. VJ, as a former secondary coach, you could argue that part of that blame falls on him, that they should have adjusted to that, especially in the second half. If you're going to blame someone, find the real people. And in this case, Zach, here's my thing. Final final thing, I'm going to get off the soapbox. The biggest issue, you talk about coaches, coach, players play, the biggest issue for the Broncos, in my opinion, in week two, was a lack of execution overall on both sides of the ball. Here, here's my thing about Vance Joseph. I'm not his biggest fan. Anyone who follows me on Twitter, watch my Facebook Live, listen to the podcast, they would know I'm not a VJ fan. But, you know, credit where credit's due. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, hate him when it's warranted. Don't blindly go around bashing him for every decision because not everything does fall on him. When he says players playing coaches coach, it's true. Players are responsible for their part and coaches are responsible for their part. The thing about VJ, he had a good and bad this game as he does every other, as he, every other week yeah. pretty much. Right. The first half... I don't know what he was thinking with his clock management in the end of the first half, taking timeouts and not taking timeouts. His situational game planning and coaching, it leaves a lot to be desired for me. But he kind of made up for that in the second half. He challenged that spot of the uh, the first down that the Raiders had, mm-hmm. and he won that challenge. And it was a good decision by him because uh, they initially marked it. Uh, I believe they gave him a first down. Right. And it was well short. It was at least a half a yard short. It was good awareness by him. So... Yeah, he gets a lot of hate because Broncos fans, they have no faith in him, nor should they at this point. 
He had a, a five win season last year, 11 losses, an eight game losing streak. He was supposed to be a leader of men, and the team quit on him, arguably, last year. And then he just does not inspire any confidence. He looks confused sometimes. He has that deer in the headlights look, but he is showing incremental growth. And that's what you want to see. You don't want to see regression. You want to see progression in even the slightest bit. So I agree with you that the constant Vance Joseph hate, it's not very warranted for him. Mm-hmm. You can't hate on every single thing he does. If he takes a step on the field, they hate on it. You, you can't just be that way. It can't be blind hate. He showed some positive signs today. The team is 2-0. and He has them buying in right now, keyword yeah. right now. And you really can't you know hate on that too much. Yeah, save it for when it's warranted. That's the key. That's all I'm saying. And Lord knows there's going to be times this year when it is warranted. But when it mattered most in the second half, he was faced with some very difficult clutch decisions. He rolled the dice both on the uh, challenge on, on that conversion that Zach mentioned late in the game. And then he also had the balls to go for it on fourth down with Keenum's rush mm, up the gut yes. down by two scores when a field goal would have still narrowed the score to one. But then had he not done that and the Broncos settled for a field goal there on that final possession, a field goal wouldn't have done it. The Broncos would have had to have punched it all the way in. And so that was a deciding point in the game. And you got to thank VJ for that. You got to tip your hat. Now, obviously, he has guys in his ears, his analytics guys up in the booths that are giving him all the odds, give, telling him what's uh, probable, what he needs to do. It's time to give him credit, give him credit where it's due. When it's time to, to jump him, jump him. And I just don't feel like up to this point, two games in, they're 2-0, and I don't feel like the hate is warranted. So pump the brakes on that. Now, one quick thing before we get to the Mile High Mailbag, time for Step Yo Game Up. And this time, Zach, we've got a three-headed monster here. Now, we've already talked about each one of these guys, but it's a three-headed monster for a reason. The three guys that Zach and I both agree need to step it up. Quarterback Case Keenum. Got to cut out the the killer mistakes that are really costing his team. Demarius Thomas, same thing with the drops and the lapses. And then Bradley Roby, he's just overall got to be more consistent and play with more intensity and not allow as many uh, receptions as he has through two games. I mean, all three of those guys, what they have in common is they're being very highly compensated and they're not doing their job to their fullest extent. And it might be nitpicky to talk about Case Keenum because he engineered a game-winning drive, but he cannot make those throws, those bad interceptions, which was a, a bad read and a worse throw. They didn't pay him 18 a year, $18 million a year, to be this gunslinger. They want him to be a game manager, take care of the game, don't turn it over. That was their biggest bugaboo last year with Simeon and Osweiler and Lynch was turnovers. He's already had four this year, so uh, he has looked more positive than negative to me. There's been more glimpses of hope than, you know, than pessimism to me. But he cannot throw those interceptions. He cannot turn the ball over. That's not how they're going to win this game and, and, and win these games this season. Bradley Roby, he got beat over and over and over in training camp in, in preseason. I thought, okay, maybe it's the preseason. Maybe it's training camp. It's just uh, they're not putting too much stock in it. But you saw it in week one. You saw it today. He's not going to get a big contract if he ke- continues playing this way. And like you said earlier, he's getting paid very well this year on his uh, last year of his contract or of the option. And it's just – it's not stepping up for it. It's, it's not – to fill in for Aqib Tlaib, to have this type of performance, it's just not cutting it. So and, – and we talked about Demarius Thomas, highest paid receiver on the team. He drops more balls every week than he catches them. He just uh, – he has to play better. All those three players, they're all key to the Broncos', Broncos success. They're all star players in their respective positions. They have to play better. 
couldn't have said it better myself. And the thing with Keenum, you can give him a little bit of a pass because he was such a deciding factor in the Broncos storming back and ultimately getting that win. But you can't start – I mean, you can't check into the game and start playing the way you're supposed to play in the third quarter and just right. forsake the first and second quarter. And I think your point is especially salient here, the fact that these are three of the highest-paid players on the team that we're having to tell and talk about as three guys that need to step it up. So if that doesn't tell a little bit of the story here, the Broncos are fortunate to be 2-0 and when you got three of the highest-paid uh, players not towing the line. So hopefully these guys can put it together and show a more consistent and efficient performances, respectively, heading into week three. Now, we move on to the Mile High Mailback as we are running long here. Zach and I are your football priests, and we are here to offer answers and absolution to your burning Broncos questions. And the first one comes from Jacob Smith on Twitter at JSMileHigh9798. Now, we've touched on this quite a bit, but Jacob's question in fairness, is it me or is there no excuse for the Broncos to not be prepared for a quick strike passing game? This defense is predicated on getting a pass rush have to be prepared. Now, before I serve this up to you, the one thing we did not talk about, Zach, is in uh, Joe Wood's one presser this past week leading up to the game, even the media brought that up. The fact that Derek Carr seemed to be so comfortable and bullheaded sticking to this short passing game in week one. And Joe Woods was like, yeah, well, here's what you do to neutralize that. You get after the passer. So the guys up front have to be able to put pressure, and then the corners have to play tight coverage in man. And we do both of those things really, really well. So what the heck happened? It, it falls on coaching, and I hate to keep you know driving that point home, but it does. And if they want pressure, why deactivate Demarcus Walker? Mm. It, I just don't understand that. It, you can allow the players to only do so much. You can only put too much pressure on them. You have to scheme better also. To play 10 yards off the wide receivers, to not focus on you know guarding Amari Cooper, to not coach up your defensive backs better, and to not have your rookie third-round pick active for a game, Isaac Yottam, it falls on coaching. So there is no excuse, Jacob. I, I I agree with your point that it's predicated on the pass rush. They have to be prepared, and the players can only handle so much. It also falls on the coaching to put, to put them in the best possible su- position to succeed. Yeah. On second and four and third and three, you can't be playing 10, 10 yards off coverage. No. You just can't no, no, do no. it. So absolutely, that's uh, a gut check time for Joe Woods. Got to step it up as well. Um, next question comes from... E on Twitter, at Zeb211. Zeb's question is, at what point is Cortland Sutton featured more and DT is phased out? Hashtag too many drops. <laughs> yeah, they are too many drops. I, I think after two weeks, it's a little little too soon to press the panic button just yet to start rewriting the depth chart and to think that Sutton passed him up yet. They're probably going to feed him next week against that Ravens secondary and see what he can do to Marius Thomas. But if it continues... And Sutton continues to progress. They're going to have no choice but to start going away from Demarius. And he might even be a trade candidate in the middle of the year. You never know. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very highly paid player. They might want to move him off the books. The Broncos showed they have no one, uh, problem with swallowing cap money with Pax and Lynch. They might do the same thing with Demarius Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's He's still going to be an integral part of the passing game. He's still a big body. He's still your homegrown Broncos star. But he cannot continue to exceed playing time if he can't catch the ball. It's literally his job is to catch passes. And if he can't do that, the next person in line who shows capable of doing that, Cortland Sutton, should get that responsibility. Yeah, and the only reason it probably won't happen by week three, I, w- I wouldn't even say it has anything to do with Thomas's storied history as a Bronco. 
What I would say is the only reason you're not going to see um, Cortland Sutton playing more in place of Demarius Thomas in week three is because, as we talked about on the show today, Sutton just quite – he hasn't quite been able to put it all together, but he's so close. He is close. And the second he is able to take it over the line, I think you're going to see Demarius Thomas, his role in this offense, diminish even further, and especially assuming that you know the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior, so assuming that his drop issues are going to continue into the season. Last question, then we're out of here, comes from Dion Hicks on Twitter, at Dion L. Hicks. The question do you think Philip Lindsay will jump Royce Freeman on the depth chart? My short answer, no. Zach? Um, it's, it's a two-part question. I really do think that Philip Lindsay is the Broncos' best running back from an overall perspective. Big fan of Royce Freeman. Love what he does as a runner on early downs between the tackles. He's that upgraded version of C.J. Anderson. By title alone, he's the number one running back. That's not going to change. They put out their, ne- their new depth chart a couple days from now. It's going to still have Royce Freeman at the top. But Philip Lindsay by far has surpassed Devontae Booker as a number two. And I think pound for pound, he is a number one. So it, I wouldn't look at the depth chart to be the, the all-knowing you know barometer for success and how they're standing in the organization is. All I know is Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman, that's a hell of a one-two combo. That's a great thunder and lightning combo to have. And, and to get two solid rookies and to have production from two rookie players speaks volumes about this Broncos draft class. Yeah, again, don't uh, get too hung up on what the depth chart says. I mean, I'd be surprised if that changes this week. What you really have to realize, and the reason my short answer is no, I don't think Lindsey's going to jump Freeman on the actual depth chart. But in the hearts and minds of the coaches, we already have that answer, Dion. We already know the answer to that question, at least today. And that is the Broncos' faith right now is stronger in Philip Lindsay being able to provide a spark than Freeman. So maybe that'll change as the season goes on. Uh, I, honestly, I hope it does. And I, still, I, I feel like they're still trying to feel out exactly, balance out the roles of these two young guys. But so far, it's working for them. I mean, they've been over 100 yards on the ground each of the first two weeks. Uh, Lindsey's produced 100 yards from scrimmage each of the first two weeks. Freeman got himself a touchdown in week two. So it's working for the Denver Broncos. So don't get too hung up right now about who's on the depth chart. Just be glad that these two young rookies, as Zach said, are towing the line and carrying their fair, more than their fair share of the water for your Denver Broncos. But that's all the time we got for today, you guys. Your Broncos are 2-0. and They're 1-0 in the division. Rejoice. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247 and myself at Chad and Jensen. Make sure you guys are subscribing no matter where you're listening to the show because as you saw on Sunday in week two, this season is going to be a wild ride. For Zach Kellerman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.